This is Kenyon Phillips, and you're listening to Be Here Tomorrow. <laughs> that was that was some fucking bullshit VO voice. Okay, this is my real voice. This is Kenyon Phillips, and you're listening to Be Here Tomorrow, a podcast dedicated to finding reasons to live. My best friend when I was growing up was named Matthew. Our mothers worked together before we were born, and so they used to set up playdates for us when we were infants. Even though we ended up going to different elementary schools, we were always going over to each other's houses for sleepovers on weekends. We'd also go on a lot of family vacations together. Hawaii, Mexico, Park City, Lake Tahoe, The usual places that rich kids in California go to on vacation. Matthew, I called him Matt, was a funny kid. He loved fart jokes and big boobs. His father had the April 1978 issue of Playboy hidden inside a binder full of golf scores. And I remember we'd always thumb through it when we were left alone without a babysitter. On Friday nights, we'd watch Miami Vice, read truly tasteless jokes aloud to each other, order Domino's pizza, and bake Duncan Hines brownies. In junior high, Matt transferred to my school, which brought us even closer. We'd hang out at school, after school, and nearly every weekend. He started getting really into Pink Floyd, and I remember sitting in his room for hours listening to Dark Side of the Moon and The Wall. We also spent a lot of time discussing the breast development of the various girls in our class and making comedy tapes, which were these faux radio shows crudely recorded on Matt's boombox with musical accompaniment courtesy of his dinky Casio keyboard. Matt's house was really close to mine, so anytime my parents were having one of their knockdown, drag-out fights, I would always ride my bike over to his place and hide out until the storm blew over. Even though we didn't go to the same high school, we remained close. I was so scarred by the drug and alcohol abuse in my own family that I made a very conscious and hugely unpopular decision not to participate in the usual adolescent experimentation with drugs and alcohol. The fact that Matt also chose to abstain from partying meant a great deal to me. And we would often bond by mocking our peers who were off getting fucked up every weekend. By the time we were finishing high school, however, Matt had taken a more Dionysian approach, and I started to regard him as a real-life Jeff Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Because I felt so abandoned by his decision to start partying, I turned my back on him when we all went off to college. As the years passed, I would hear about his various milestones from my parents, graduating from college, taking over his dad's car dealerships, getting married, having twins, but I never reached out to him. Then about 15 years ago, my mother called to tell me that Matt had developed brain cancer. He was scheduled for a major surgery that ran a high risk of leaving him severely brain damaged. I asked for his number and called him immediately. It turns out the night I called him was 
the night before his surgery. He didn't want to talk about anything serious, so we picked up where we had left off, laughing at the same shit that used to crack us up in high school, basically. The surgery went well, albeit with some complications. Matt and I remained in touch, and I kept tabs on his condition. A few years after that first surgery, his health took a turn for the worse. He started having more surgeries, one of which left him with a speech impediment that embarrassed him greatly. So we texted for a while, which was fine because at least his personality was intact. And then one day, he just stopped texting me back. At the time, I took it personally, which I now realize was pretty stupid of me. A year or two went by where we had no communication at all. I hate to admit it, but I started thinking about him less and less. One day, about six years ago, I received a FaceTime call from my mother. She was at Matt's bedside in the hospital at the University of San Diego, where he was recovering from yet another surgery. I barely recognized the person on the screen. I mean, he was bloated from steroids with these, like, Frankenstein scars encircling his half-shaven head, and he just looked nothing like his old self. The few times he managed to speak, it was with the staccato monotone of a stroke victim. As soon as I hung up the phone, I cried my eyes out and booked a flight to San Diego. It was one of the best decisions I've ever made. For two days, I did everything I could to make Matt's life a little better. I brought pizza, salt bagels with cream cheese, cookies, cupcakes, a vintage Playboy magazine. I even pulled up some free porn on my phone for him. The unkept stubble on his face looked just awful, so I offered to shave him a handlebar mustache. He consented, and I did my best to imbue him with a sort of... Ron Jeremy Sheik. Bedridden and in and out of consciousness from all the drugs, Matt didn't do a lot of talking. But when I played the wall for him on his little iPhone speaker, he started lip-syncing. I'll never forget watching him mouth the words to comfortably numb. There is no pain you are receding, a distant ship smoke on the horizon. You are only coming through in waves, Your lips move, but I can't hear what you're saying. When I was a child, I had a fever. My hands felt just like two balloons. Now I've got that feeling once again. I can't explain. You would not understand. This is not how I am. I have become comfortably numb. A few months later... My mother told me that Matt was going into hospice. My son had just been born, and while I desperately wanted to fly out and see Matt, I couldn't leave my wife alone with our newborn baby. My mother drove to see him the next day and FaceTimed me from his bedside so I could say goodbye. Even though his face was unresponsive, I told him I loved him and that I'd see him soon. A couple of hours later, Matt was gone. Immediately, I was flooded with anger, then sadness, then regret. Why did this 42-year-old man with a wife and two young kids have to suffer and die this way? Why hadn't I been there for the second half of his life? 
Why had I acted like such a judgmental, self-righteous asshole? And then my mind became very quiet, and I thought of the time that I had spent with him in the hospital. For those two days, Matt knew I was there and that I loved him. And that was all that mattered. So if I can remember to be grateful that Matt and I were able to spend the first half of our lives together and that the universe brought us together again at the very end of Matt's life, then I can be here tomorrow. I'm Kenyon Phillips, and I want to thank you for listening to Be Here Tomorrow. If you're feeling it, definitely subscribe and share on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, SoundCloud. Fuck, I mean, it's everywhere. It's on all those platforms. And if you want to find out more about me and read things that I've written and listen to things that I've recorded that aren't podcasts, go to thekenyonphillips.com. Finally, please, if you have strong feelings about something I've said or haven't said, DM me on Instagram at thekenyonphillips. And in the meantime, I'll be here tomorrow.